0: Hello creatives, it's Eddie smile and I am back with another episode of the Don't Think Act podcast. Today I'll be chatting to Amy Garner Buchanan who is my third Australian. I've hit my hat tricks for, uh, for the Aussies, so thank you very much. Um, she is wonderful and uh, very talented uh, actor and writer. And we talk about, uh, once again, what it's like to leave your country. Um... And uh, go in search of your creative uh, goal. Uh, She goes quite far before she gets to the UK. Um, So she takes quite a trip. Uh, We also talk about when casting should be specific. um, When it should be open-minded. And she also has a wonderful method to get you in and out of character. Particularly if you're doing something that requires a lot of emotion. Um, So yeah, very interesting. Very inspiring. And uh, just a wonderful chilled chat enjoy uh, hello
1: hi how you doing
0: hi Yeah. Oh, let me put my camera on hey
1: Ooh, nice to nice see smart. you
0: nice to see you oh sorry i'm all um bundled up actually i've got to get a blanket that's oh how, it's gotten so it
1: chilly hasn't it
0: yeah <laughs> cool um well thank you so much for um taking some time out for, for the podcast thank
1: yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me.
0: No, no worries. I thought you'd be really interesting to interview, well, interviewing just as many people as I can. Um, Brilliant. I'm very much enjoying the process.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. Uh,
0: chatting shop and, um, yeah. Um, are you familiar with the format at all?
1: Um, I have just listened to sort of the first few minutes of your most recent episode. Yeah beyond that
2: <laughs>
1: not yeah. really
0: that's cool that's cool um that's that's all right really because it is like I have a structure ish but I don't, okay. don't always stick to it because I like to go where the conversation takes us
1: yeah great
0: keep it free and um sometimes there's far more interesting things to listen to than the list of yeah. questions I have in front of me yeah um, <laughs> but um I do like to start at the beginning uh, of your creative journey if you're ready
1: Yeah, let's go.
0: You are listening to the Don't Think Act podcast with Ed Ismail. thank you Amy for uh, joining me on the Dating Act podcast and uh, as I mentioned yeah I do like to start at the beginning so where were you born?
1: I was born in Melbourne, Australia.
0: Oh nice. Yeah. And where do you live now?
1: I live in East London about as far away on the planet as you can possibly get.
0: <laughs> Pretty much. And um, did you grow up in Melbourne?
1: So I grew up in Ballarat which is a couple of hours away from Melbourne um, we moved there um, when my parents broke up when I was a kid oh my god I'm so sorry
0: Ooh, just had... that, and that's all the time we have <laughs> 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 thank you for joining us on this. notifications
1: going it? off on my phone <laughs> cool phone is off let me start that again
0: <laughs> no um,
1: so yeah I grew up in uh, Ballarat which is a couple of hours away from Melbourne um, we moved there uh, when I was a kid um, and it's it kind of Ballarat is like simultaneously a regional city,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so like kind of you know Leeds, Sheffield vibes, but <laughs> okay. it's like it's it feels like a small town. You can't talk too loudly in restaurants because the person that you're talking about will have a relative sitting over there.
0: <laughs> so yeah, cool. Um, so so it it felt small. Was there um. And then what about, like, how cre- cre- creatively, is it a creative time? Is it for the belly artists or anything like that?
1: It is, yeah. It's a really creative place. It's got, well, when I was living there, it had an incredibly vibrant, um like, community theatre scene. Um, There's one of the oldest theatres in Australia is there. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And, you know, so kind of like big performing arts competitions would happen there. Um, there's now a drama school there, which is kind of very good. Um, When I was growing up, it was, I got the impression this may be correct or not, but I got the impression that it wasn't kind of competing with the other nationally renowned schools. Um, But now it definitely is. Um, But I didn't end up going to drama school there. Um, I didn't end up going to drama school till I was in my 30s. So, yeah, and because it felt small, I was on the kind of get me out of here, let me at the big wide world as soon as I can, kind of thing.
0: But how did acting first come to you?
1: It was through that community theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, my my whole family is quite a creative family. So my dad, he lived in a different town, but he ran like a university theatre society and he wrote a part for me when I was 10. Um, I got to be like a little dancing fairy in a Mm -hmm. musical which just made my day Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: and then when I was a teenager my mum and I together both got involved in you know the the local community theatre scene um, which was just amazing. So I, I was in The Boyfriend, I was in Sweeney Todd, I was in Les Mis, I was you know like all those kind of community theatre staples like I just loved it and we performed in that gorgeous old theatre so it was it was a lovely creative place to grow up.
0: It's fair to say you got bit by the bug relatively early in your life?
1: Totally totally yeah.
0: (laughs) And uh, when did it become I mean was it from then that you knew or was it were you a little bit older when you decided this was a possibility?
1: So My sisters are both musicians and they had gone to this like summer camp in Melbourne a few times and then when they started offering a musical theatre program at that summer camp, I went to that and it was there that I met a couple of people who were professional theatre, you know, practitioners and that's where it kind of occurred to me like, oh, my gosh, I could do this as a job if I wanted to. Um, yeah, and then my I did an academic undergraduate degree um because I was very interested in academics, also, you know, as I said, the drama school that was in my hometown wasn't that um reputable at the time, yeah, um so I went to uni and then as soon as I finished uni, I went, nah stuff this, I need to be a performer.' <laughs> um, so I did musical theatre training at a dance school for a year, um, and then I started working um, professionally after that.
0: Um, and so was musical theatre like your first love? That it
1: really was, yeah. yeah.
0: Cool. And, um, and then so how did you end up here?
1: Well, surprisingly enough, I came here via America. Um, oh, Oh! wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. Well,
2: let's yeah. start with that then. <laughs> yeah, definitely
1: not a straightforward journey. Um, so I married an American um, who was living in Australia and we both just kind of had that um, desire to travel and mm. desire to explore the world. He also had been living in Australia for I think about seven years and wanted to be slightly closer to his family, not like In the same town as his family, but maybe on the same continent. Um, So he took a job in Houston, Texas. And I just went, Great, there seem to be professional theaters there. I will come along and see what I can do. And it turns out that Houston's regional theater scene is incredibly vibrant.
2: Mm.
1: And um, they are more focused on, they have some musical theater companies, but they're more focused on straight theater. Um, So that's where I became like a straight theatre actor, um, that's where I realised that I wasn't an ingenue and, <laughs> you know, so I, I had some great mentoring there. I had some great opportunities there. I wrote my first show while I was there. Wow. Um, so I had an amazing time in Houston. And then I kind of got the feeling that I wanted to take it to the next level and I also wanted to connect with my heritage Um, my dad is English um, and I began to get obsessed with Shakespeare and so there was this sense of like my family heritage but also my theatrical heritage if that doesn't sound too wanky (laughs) Um, but I just had this real pull to come to London Um, so I got into Lambda and I did their master's program there which was amazing Um, and pretty life-changing um yeah and I've been in London ever since
0: so how how long were you in Houston for in America I was in
1: Houston for five years wow yeah And, and
0: what was it like then uh obviously so you had the the passion for musical theater and then you left your country um hoping to find more of that was that was that a hard transition
1: it was really hard I didn't have much of a sense of how my experience mapped onto the market there. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I had I think it was about four months um, where I just felt utterly shit. Hmm. Um, really, really hard to transition. Um, I wasn't expecting culture shock, but I got it. Um, So, yeah, and then I got my first gig, which really helped me begin to settle in. So I started working in a children's theatre there. My first professional job in Australia had been in children's musical theatre. So kind of getting into the Houston scene via their very strong children's theatre community was my way in. But, yeah, it it was really tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, I always ask this because I've had a few um, guests now who have, you know, come from other countries. Um, I've had a, you know, an American guest, Canadian. You are my third Australian. Um, got my Australian hat trick. Um, <laughs> and like the business is as challenging as, challenging as it is, um, but it does it add more pressure? Feeling a bit like a fish out of water when you're having to adapt to a different culture a different speed of life
1: totally the first few auditions that I did in Houston whenever I had to sing I just would open my mouth and nothing would come out um, which was incredibly embarrassing and I, I think it was just my body reacting to how much pressure I was putting on myself
0: the nerves it, then
1: Yeah, nerves, but also this sense of if you don't book a gig Mm. and you don't book a high-caliber gig, Mm. then you won't be successful or you you won't ever get a job here or you won't ever be happy here. It felt like there was so much more riding on it. Mm. So, yeah, that was really tough.
0: Is it right to ask what age you were at that time?
1: Yeah, yeah, if I can remember. I think I was 25. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, so still still you know so young like in terms of starting out and um uh, I've, i think i mentioned this in my last episode um we were saying how like you you're never really prepared for like the the business side of the business <laughs> you know you, it's you, tough you've isn't got it yeah all the performing skills that you have um and you're ready that but like it's like the, the admin and um who do you contact who do you write to um Is it okay to speak to certain people? Is it not okay to speak to, like, all the sort of, there's so many unwritten rules you have to sort of um, learn relatively quickly.
1: Totally. Um, And those are slightly different in every different market.
0: That's what I was, yeah, I was going to ask. So what, so, like, so you did, like, musical theatre in Australia then you go to Houston and you do, like, was it just straight theatre you ended up doing there? So I started in
1: children's theatre in Houston and then um, got into like, you know, straight theatre for mm. adults. Um, yeah, it. I had kind of learned in Melbourne um, how to contact agents, how to look for open calls. Mm. The Houston theatre scene is small enough that they don't use agents. So there's about a dozen theatres that are operating under the... Um, Actors' Equity small professional theatre contract. Um, you contact them directly. Sometimes they do open calls. If not, you have to get in their files and just wait for something good to come up. Mm. Um, yeah, they, uh, film, film actors, there are a couple of like screen acting agencies, screen and voice acting agencies. So I signed with one um, and got a good voiceover gig, a couple of great TV auditions, but didn't book anything. Um, yeah, and then I came to London and learned it all over again.
0: Did you have I'm any... quite tired? <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you've come very far, and you've taken a long, long way round to get here.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> um, but it's a huge, it's a huge deal, you know, leaving a country to pursue you know uh, a creative goal like that it says yeah um, you know i've only left for holidays and i've lived in other parts of my own country which does take adapting but like leaving your country completely knowing your family aren't just a a car ride away or a train ride you know it's uh yeah yeah that's that it makes it even more isolating in the business which is already can put you in very isolating position
1: definitely yeah
0: Have any screen acting experience prior to some of the stuff you did in Houston or was that, was that um I
1: think I'd taken a couple of classes um I was an extra in an Australian miniseries kind of as just a you know what they say about extras gigs about like it's a way to yeah. go and see how a set operates
2: Wonderful um, which was
1: yeah fantastic fantastic so I walked behind Essie Davis down a corridor um and it was great <laughs> Uh, Yeah, but I haven't done much screen. My first kind of screen gig was um, a short film that I did when I was living in Texas um, called Zombie Jesus,
0: which was very fun. (laughs) (laughs) Can that be seen anywhere?
1: (laughs) Um, It probably can. It's quite old now. um, But if you Google Zombie Jesus tall tale pictures,
0: it one, there can only be one of those, right?
1: There can only be one of those. Although when you think about it, like zombie Jesus is actually a joke that a lot of people make. Like, you know, Easter is happy zombie Jesus day. <laughs> um, yeah, but the joke of the film is that um, Jesus and his followers, when they're speaking just amongst themselves, they are articulate and interesting and normal human people. But when they're speaking to outsiders, they're zombies. Right.
2: Um.
1: So I played one of those outsiders and uh, got to be terrified by some zombies, <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first film.
0: Amazing! And um, so, like now, do you feel like you're more comfortable performing uh, either on stage or on screen, or doing voiceover, or do you do you love it? Do you love it all? Do you still want to do it all?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to do it all. I theater is still where I'm strongest. Um, and my training at Lambda was very theater focused, mm. um, and it's just it's just what I love the best—that immediacy—and um, also the fact that so I'm a very verbal person, um, and I'm you know those tests that you can do about kind of the different types of intelligence. Um, visually, I'm pretty stupid, but verbally, I'm quite smart. Mm. So that lends itself to theater more because theater tends to rely on dialogue and film tends to rely more on visuals. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, theater theater feels like my first language.
0: No, that's fair. Um yeah, I'm I think I'm the opposite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm I uh, when I start to think of an idea or write something, I always think of it more of the uh in terms of film on what it's going to look like mm-hmm. and um, uh, I write plays, but I, I think I'm better at writing the screen. I think mean, mm. I've got more of a. Uh, yeah, it's easy for me to put things down visually than it is to have. Like I, 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 I sometimes I find plays difficult with the amount of exposition. And I think you, it's not to say it's all ex, exposition, and and because there's so many interesting ways of creating theatre now.
2: Mm.
0: Um, and also I did a devised theatre course. So mm. yeah, I did a lot of rolling around on the floor for three years. Yeah, yeah. Um. So it's not to say it's the only way to create it. It's sort of like your, your mainstream theatre. Although I guess now we've, in the last few years, particularly um, in London and around the UK, we've seen a huge growth in sort of immersive theatre mm. mm-hmm. where companies are now taking over random buildings and... um. Putting on performances where you know they're kind of promenades-esque, where you're just going to different floors and into different rooms, and and like there's a story happening for like five hours or six hours.
1: Yeah. So my one of my best friends in Houston runs an immersive theater company in Houston. Um, they're called Strange Bird Immersive, and their flagship project is an an a cross between an escape room and an immersive theater
2: oh, show. Nice.
1: So you're. You're interacting with an actor who is playing a medium and your goal is to contact the ghost of Houdini. Mm. Um, That's scary. And a story plays out over the course of, I think that, that one goes for about an hour and a half. Um, but, yeah, it's really astonishing. And she also writes a blog... Um, Immersology.com. I'm just shilling all of her work because I think it's amazing. Really? Um, where she kind of looked at like the structures and theories behind immersive theatre, looking at it from like a very theoretical um, point of view, um, which is just fascinating.
0: Well, that's cool. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's something I'd love to be a part of because I haven't really done anything like that for a long time. Mm. Um, when I was younger, I did a lot of like invisible theatre with. Um, the youth theatre group we used to go to mm. on a Tuesday night. And sometimes we would just leave the community centre and then go and do improvisations outside in the street. Uh unfortunately one night we did um at the time we were working on a devised performance of Romeo and Juliet. Um so we decided to sort of set it East End in the sixties. Mm. Um so that kind of a, a gangster vibe about it ran time with the craze and um well, those kind of people. And uh, so we decided to sort of, sort of like we we devising one night we're like, right, we're gonna go out on the street and we're we all like we're in two separate groups. And we were gonna come from um opposite sides and meet and have a bit of a clash. Um and unfortunately someone saw that and thought it was two rival gangs. <laughs> so they called the did police Did they call the police like, Yeah. They did indeed. Um, uh, <laughs> our director was how to tell them it was, you know <laughs> it's, it's just there guys it's just improv um but <laughs> yeah gosh. yeah. i mean it's yeah that's great but it's also very dangerous and you have to let a lot of people know um at uni once we had to let the police know we were filming a kidnapping scene for a project late at night at a car park yeah and um so i popped into the local police station because i was filming it and um I tell you what, actually being there and filming it was really scary.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Even though I knew it was like, I knew the people who trusted each other, we all like, we this, but like watching it all unfold. And because I, I did it from the point of view of being in, in the back of the car with the camera. So you're seeing it happen yeah. from the outside and someone grabbed mm. it and stuffed into a car. And then, but um,
1: I'm getting chills just thinking about it. That is very scary.
0: Yeah, it was great. And it was sort of like a bit of drizzle and rain as well, which really mm. helps sort of the effects. And so, but. Yeah, you've got to be careful when you do things in public. Yeah, <laughs> that are creative. Got to let as yep. many people know as possible, but you also don't want to ruin the kind of illusion of it all. Uh, it's just yeah,
1: I'm a big believer in being aware of what the social contract is.
0: Yeah, well, I think like when you when you sign up to go and watch immersive theatre, mm. I've I've heard because I've I've I, have a, I know a few people that have um, been a part of those. Um, the film months' what they call it, secret cinema yeah
1: oh yeah
0: um and they're saying like it's, it's you know 99% of the time it's great but there's always like every now and again there's always one person that kind of comes up to you and is like trying to uh, I don't know get a reaction out of you trying to get you to break character try yeah. to, so they sort of intimate and it's like come on mate you've paid 75 quid for this like is this yeah. what, is this what you want to be doing right now
1: or maybe that's the type of person who feels like i've paid 75 quid for this so therefore i get to so
0: i get to play a role in this thing yeah yeah which
1: is a massive red flag and not kind of person that i want to
2: hang out with
0: (laughs) (laughs) so um now this, this question um i just want you to think of whatever comes to mind it's not a definitive like so one thing. It might be more than one thing, but is there a piece of acting that you've seen on stage or screen that has really blown you away?
1: Yes, I immediately know the answer to that question. Ah. I saw in 2016 the Don Mars All-Female Shakespeare trilogy. Nice. And um so I think that was Julius Caesar, Henry the Fourth, I want to say, and The Tempest. And Harriet Walter was oh. the lead in all of them.
2: She's what astonishing. astonishing. She's a Her
1: Prospero in The Tempest, it remains my favourite Shakespeare protagonist performance I've ever seen. Mm. And I felt like it changed me as a human. Like I, I it made me think about like the nature of forgiveness and... A bitterness, and I, you know, went outside and like sobbed for a while because of how moving it was and the things that it made me think about. It's just astonishing. Harriet Walter can do no wrong, in my opinion. I love her a bit.
0: Yeah, I think she's such a chameleon. Um, yeah, she's always turning up in things I'm watching, and I just like sometimes I don't even recognize her. Um, yeah, I think she's wonderful. She's great at accents as well. She does, she's yeah, a yeah. Variety. Um, i just finished
1: binging silo season one and she's she's got a role in that and she's great
0: oh was that the apple tv thing yes the, the sort yeah, of yeah. post-apocalyptic yeah um there we go outside should we go outside don't go outside yeah okay.
2: yeah yeah i yeah
0: i couldn't i i, I tried that one. i was a, I was a few episodes in and i gave, I gave up oh really um, well um, was it worth sticking it out then
1: it was for me, but I, I kind of was challenged with it as well because you in the first few episodes, main characters die yeah. and it sort of feels like, well, who am I supposed to care about if you keep killing all of the characters that I care <laughs> about?
0: Uh, Game of Thrones seemed <laughs> to manage perfectly fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think Silo did an amazing job. So oh, yeah, good. around about episode three or four, I was like, "Come on, guys, you're going to kill all of the people I care about." <laughs> but I stuck with it, and it was amazing.
0: Cool. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. That's really good. And um, did you did you ever have any acting inspirations, or are there people you follow in the careers of you really admire? Other than Harriet, obviously.
1: Yeah. Um. Someone else I'm really inspired by is Giles Terera. Oh, yes. Yeah, um, for a day job I worked um, at the theatre where Hamilton was on when he was playing Aaron Burr. Nice. Um, And the way he fills every moment is just sublime. I I adore him as a performer. Um, There are so many scenes in Hamilton where kind of the scene swirls, it's a very swirly show where, you know, the next scene has started kind of before the previous actors have stepped off stage.
2: Mm.
1: And he was just so specific about you knew what he could see of what was happening in the other scene, you knew what his opinion was of it, and you knew why that was driving him into the next scene. Mm. And that level of detail, I think, is not something particularly that shows up in musical Um, theatre. I think really detailed acting is sometimes lacking in musical theatre because really detailed choreography is what is going on instead. And Giles Torreira can do both.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I have feelings about musical theatre. I do struggle to watch it. Um mm. a, a lot of musical theaters that I've seen I feel and I'm sure a lot of people listening are shooting down and I've got nothing against musical theaters like it's mo- mostly it's just not for me yeah um, and I understand its place but I find some of the musicals that I have seen um there is a style about them that is just old to me like it's just mm. hasn't changed and like you say you don't get very nuanced acting in it sometimes mm-hmm. um i struggle with talky singing uh particularly oh really i love yeah, it <laughs> yeah yeah i hate it when dialogue is delivered in a talky sing. I don't... and again i get it it's a style, and it's a choice and that's fine yeah yeah um i'm not i would never say it shouldn't exist because you know it's, it brings a lot of people joy yeah good, good for you guys um, we've
1: all got our own tastes
2: and things but
0: so. but there is a lot of musical theatre i've seen that i do enjoy and i like like uh Like the ones that Tim Minchin has done, Mm -hmm. like Matilda I loved Mm -hmm. um, and uh, Groundhog Day Mm -hmm. um, was brilliant. It's one of the best shows I've ever seen.
2: Amazing.
0: Um, I just, yeah, I think I do. I like like a musical that doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, Mm -hmm. Book Book of Mormon I thought was amazing.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah.
0: Or Avenue Q. I'm very much into wrong humor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, So... Yeah, that's how you get me, guys. Just um, nice. Just be as wrong as possible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of artists out there who are like, <laughs> "Yep, challenge accepted."
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, no, it's it's definitely got its place, and it does. It's it, it's a wonderful way to, you know, musical theatre is usually the thing that gets young people into into the arts mm. and into wanting to perform. Um,
1: and it's such a staple of the amateur theatre community. Yeah. Um as it should be, because singing together as a group is such a joyful activity. Yeah. Um, of course it should be something that brings the community together. Yeah. And that was my experience of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh I think like people are taking like people are a bit more ambitious now than like they used to be, particularly when I was younger. Like we've got a local where I live, we've got a local operatic society. And mm. they they do two musicals a year at our local theatre um and they're like proper for a local community (laughs) all right so they're proper like they go hard to go home they've done like shrek they've done um kinky boots um awesome it's like shrek's a relatively new musical you know it's not it's not that old um maybe 10 Mm. years 10 years or something something like
1: that yeah
0: uh so yeah they're, they're really good at like picking out like Popular things that have been in the West End and and putting their own spin on stuff. And I thought, oh, yeah. For you, because that must be really hard. I'm really, I'm still quite expensive for what is essentially a local community. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what it's like getting rights for for things that already exist. Well, there's a
1: whole um, there's a whole kind of industry around amateur and school rights. Mm. Um, my sister ah. is operating in this world. Um. She, she does um, musicals at the school that she teaches at and she's still involved in the um, community theatres that I grew up in. Um, yeah, so, you know, musical theatre creators know that there is a hunger in amateur and school groups um, and, and often they're just really happy to, to feed that.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's brilliant. Do you remember what it was like to get your headshots done for the first time?
2: Oh,
1: I'm not sure I remember my first headshot session. I remember uh, an early one, um, which was done by a friend of mine who was a photographer. <clears throat> and we couldn't afford a studio and so it was just us in the middle of Melbourne, um, which I felt slightly self-conscious about. Um I still agonise over headshots because I think your relationship with what you look like is really complicated. And then layering on top of that, am I trying to edge my look more towards a type of role that I think I can play really well? Do other people agree with me about what type of role I fit in? Mm -hmm. Um, That's all really angsty, complicated stuff.
0: And how much time... so how much time do you spend sort of pondering that? Into, well, not pondering it, but um, do you then talk to people about what your casting type is when it comes to headshots or your agent or your peers?
1: I have done in the past. Um, one of my more recent headshot sessions was just after I cut my hair and came out as non-binary. And so the photographer went, so what kind of roles are you going for? And I went, I have no fucking clue because <laughs> I don't even know who I am. I don't know what my gender is. I don't know what I look like. I don't I don't know anything. Mm. But what I did was because since I left Lambda, I've been focusing on um, writing work for myself. I just brought stuff that I had written and I just performed it. And she took photos of me while I performed. Um, and I was like, great, now I'm going to perform the same thing with a different top on and see what happens there. <laughs> yeah, so I'm... Um, Speaking with my agent at the moment about um, kind of what my casting opportunities are. Um, but I'm also really coming to terms with the fact that as a foreigner in the UK, my cast ability is very limited. Mm. Um, UK theatres and casting directors and producers in general don't like trusting foreigners. Um, way less than in the US. Like in the US, I was people were happy for me to learn an American accent and be an American, mm. um, you know, and or they were happy to say, oh, there's no reason why this character needs to be American. This character can be Australian or this character can be English. Um, whereas in the UK, like if you think about theatre shows that you've seen, British TV shows that you've seen, the number of people with foreign accents or the number of foreigners in it is incredibly limited. Yeah. Um, so my my agent's been helping me think about um, I'm kind of visibly queer um, I'm plus sized I'm a foreigner um I pass as American really well so i'm I'm more likely to be cast as an American in the u k than I am to be cast as anything else so kind of that window leaves me kind of only a few shows that I'm targeting or a few shows that that would consider me um so I I do know that and one of them is silo actually which is why I watched all of it because it's an American show that films in the UK um and they have some kind of visibly queer or gender non-conforming people in it um so um yeah uh I've lost my train of thought
0: that's right. I mean, given given with all the the challenges that the business brings, uh, but also in the more inclusive direction that it's been moving in, and obviously mm. it's still got a lot of work to do. We're near where we need to be. Mm. Um, does has um, does being non-binary and queer does that then? closed doors does it open them is it, or is it the same as nothing changed is it-
2: um
1: it's closed doors I think right. um previously my casting would be mother right. um but now that I'm read as less feminine which is on purpose I'm deliberately trying to not be read as feminine um, right. because that's not where I sit comfortably as a person hmm. um Yeah, so I think it has closed those doors. Um, Having said that, there are plenty of kind of queer-specific avenues um, to explore. One of my favourite performing experiences was I took a show of mine to the Dublin Gay Theatre Festival a couple of years ago, um, or last year. I have no track, of no sense of time. Um, And... uh, that was brilliant. I remember my mum saying to me, like, I "Amy, mean, why do you have to go to a gay festival?" Um, <laughs> and and she said, "You know, I I worry that you're like closing yourself off if you're if you're being branded as queer." Mm. Um, and in a sense, I am closing myself off, but I'm but I'm narrowing my focus and finding my niche. I think. Um, that's what I'm trying to do let's check back in a few years and see if I've managed to do that or not
0: yeah <laughs> but you know, I I know we've we've spoken before you're, you're very much not wanting to be like you've mentioned like you always put up for like mob, the mother role like mm. you don't, you don't mm. want to be stereotyped you don't want to be um put into a box and that I mean it's kind of unavoidable, isn't it, in the acting game? But like everybody is put into a box.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I've kind of put myself in quite a tricky position um, where I'm like, don't put me in a box, but then also cast me. <laughs> um, that kind yeah. of has inherent contradictions in it. Yeah. Um, yeah, which I'm aware of. And it's kind of why I'm leaning more and more towards making my own work. Um, because, you know, in one sense I am happy to play women on stage because I pretended to be a woman for most of my life. Um, But yeah, there's, there's often, particularly in screen things, there's often um, so much that's limiting about the way that feminine characters are viewed. Mm. Um, Yeah. It's complicated.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's um, well, you know, there's a, there's a, entire history particularly in film um because that's where i'm more sort of versed uh uh, the history of female characters on film is just it's balmy yeah um you know not many not many of them have brains Um, yeah and um and they kind of sometimes they get pushed in the opposite direction to the extreme so they're strong they're a strong female character so that means like they're hard and they're stern. They don't. They don't care. They don't have feelings and they don't, But they're going to get the job done. They're going to do whatever it takes. Um, yeah,
1: I think those of, characters are interesting. But I also think the phrase like "strong female character" is really fucking patronising.
0: <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't. It's like you're either one or the other, isn't it? It's stupid. It's like well, you don't say strong male has... character. No, and every everyone's layered, aren't they?
1: <laughs> everyone's layered. Everyone, <laughs> Everyone has, has strength. strength. Everyone has softness. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah female roles mm. um mm. tricky yeah so i I, I do wonder like I, with the years to come as everyone sort of I think I feel like everyone is questioning things about their own identity and individuality and trying to celebrate the things that um are be, maybe labeled as different mm-hmm. um, you know I myself recently have reverted back to using my um legal surname
2: mm. for a long
0: time I, I didn't do um yeah this I'm on like my third Version of, a, of having a stage name, if you like, or yep. a, a name I'm represented by, or how I'm representing myself. Um, because when I started out, I was met with very um, prejudiced kind of castings and, uh, mm. um, you know, yes, stereotypical big but have stereotypical roles. Um was with a name with a face like mine, was, you know, suicide bomber, like asylum seeker, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> terrorist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Such diversity. <laughs> well, you know, just be pleased I'm not a method actor. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, um, so I, I, I do. Yeah, I wonder, like, over, over the years to come, like how casting going to change and how as people become more and more, uh, I don't want to say individual, because everyone's an individual, obviously, but just more... Uh, more, I guess, focused on the identity side of, uh, mm. of things, but how that will either open up or or, or close castings, and, and um, there's this constant debate, isn't there, about who should be playing what role? Well, not who, but like
2: mm.
0: when roles are cast, should this role be played by a person of a certain race, a certain gender, mm. a certain, mm. you know? Um, I know in my last episode that aired with um, with. Gary keeps saying like he feels like if you're making a um if you're making something about someone that's lived, then that should that person should be played by someone that sort of kinda of looks like that person. Mm. Um, which was an interesting opinion and, and fair enough. But I said the thing is there's variables because you might be like doing a parody of that time or that person. So you might want them to be played by the opposite sex or or someone doesn't remotely look like them. <laughs> um, totally. I've like seen in-
1: really interesting representations of trans people, trans characters. Okay. Um, so the the play Adam, which was produced by the National Theatre of Scotland, um, was a play written by and about a trans man. And the character was split between the trans man himself and mm. a cis woman. Um And I think there are lots of really interesting things that can be done. I speak about gender identity because that's kind of what I think about the most, but I'm sure it could be applied to lots of other different aspects of identity that sometimes looking like the person is what you're going for, sometimes feeling like the person is what you're going for, sometimes, particularly in theatre, having the audience be surprised about who this person is and what they look like can be useful. Mm. Um, going back to Hamilton, for example, um, it's it was really groundbreaking. And I, I think it's been popular for long enough now that we forget that it was groundbreaking mm-hmm. to have a black George Washington on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and And from what I understand, that did great things for some young black Americans um, going, oh, this can be my history too and I can claim it too. Um, yeah, so I think there's there's definitely room for some fuckery in my opinion. Um, but also you've got to think about being respectful to the community that a character is represented by. But also being respectful to the acting community, like it's so hard for disabled actors to get roles. Yeah. Why would you slap them in the face by giving a disabled role to an able-bodied actor? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I I don't think there are any hard and fast rules. I think there's a a a lot of things to think about, but also a lot of room to play with casting.
0: Yeah, I think that's where. Yeah, I I know. Um previous guests said that they, they they've found in the past that uh casting seems to be the most uncreative part of the job, <laughs> of, of the whole industry like they that, that's how they felt about it I don't um, think
1: that's true um, I think some uh, casting directors are incredibly creative
0: yeah yeah I think I mean they've sort of they've come away from the acting side of things so um they're maybe not as switched on as to what's happening today but I guess maybe just by what they see um mm. and um particularly yeah I do, I do feel like disabled actors are, are 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 probably like the most marginalized mm-hmm. um in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um and it is it it is it is difficult because they they will get again being put in a box, isn't it? And like yeah. the, you're only capable of doing and so but it's like I don't know, like if it's again if it's not specific to a history or a time where it's not bec- or, or not specific to the story, like characters should be played i mean writers have a, need to have a say here as well like people should be mm. writing so that characters can be played by pretty much anyone mm. um shouldn't really be important depending on the story there are again there are variables and exceptions but I yeah think most of the time you
1: know i took a really interesting course um of course it was one class um <laughs> let me not oversell course. it i took a really interesting class um at the lgbt community center um a, which was called writing about race and it was specifically a class for white people to think about writing about race
2: oh,
1: um and one of the things the instructor said that really stuck with me was there's no such thing as a character whose race doesn't matter because there's no such thing as a person whose race doesn't matter. Mm. Um, Because currently in the world we live in, this may change in hundreds of years, um, currently race matters. Um, And she was saying, so there's a difference between writing a character that could be played by an actor of any race. However, once that role is cast... The audience will the audience will perceive that character and their race. Yep. And that will affect the way the character is read. Mm. It's really interesting stuff. And I sometimes am very interested in it and sometimes very nervous about getting it wrong.
0: Yeah. I mean sometimes I think it is I'm now gonna contradict what I <laughs>
2: previously Great, just. Great, go for
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> because we're human and we contradict ourselves. But yes, do you think like casting should be open to people Um, but going back to my point about it is dependent on story and and some stories are very important one of my favorite plays is Blue Orange I don't know if you know that one
1: I don't know that no
0: so Blue Orange is about um it's a it's a three-hander um and in the versions I've seen it's always been in three men um one is a a black man who's in a mental health facility and Mm -hmm. the other two men are white men And the the play is the two white men debating whether uh, the black man is ready to go back into society um, uh, and whether he's ready for that. And it's such a powerful play because it deals with um, so many different themes, but like men's mental health, but particularly like um, uh, mental health that's suffered by people who are are non-white in this country, um, mm. and how they're treated at a time uh, because the the uh, young black character is convinced that um, Idi Amin is his dad um, Okay. Um, so that brings a whole other load of baggage with it as well um, but it's, it's a brilliant play uh, Joe Penhall is a writer um, so mm. um, I recommend reading it um, mm. but, or trying to c- catch it, it does come around to London so often, I last saw it with uh, Daniel Kaluya, in it, mm. uh, at the Young Vic um, and David Hay. And um, I think that play is so important that that's something I wouldn't want to switch up. I wouldn't want to see an
1: yeah.
0: other white cast. Or, I mean, maybe an all-female cast, but still mm. keeping the race dynamics. That would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's so, so important for what, what the player is talking about that mm. uh, you wouldn't want that sort of misrepresented.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there are some plays where it doesn't matter who gets cast um or or it it, you know it does matter like i said before but the options are multiple yeah um and there are some plays where it is it is really important that this is played by a particular type of person
0: yeah Yeah. (laughs) tricky what's no no right answer
2: no there isn't
0: so how did the covid pandemic affect you creatively
1: Um, It really stymied kind of my major project that I had on the go. Um, I'd met with my um, team of the play that I was writing um, and developing. We had, um, towards the end of 2018, we had done some intense development on this play at the Park Theatre and then at the beginning of 2020 we were like, amazing we're getting our shit together for grant applications we're going to pitch to the park theater um and then the person who was my contact at the park theater left as the park had to reshuffle their staff mm-hmm. um obviously the arts council was closed to all except emergency funding um a couple of my main collaborators had to leave the country because of their their personal circumstances, oh. um, combination of COVID and Brexit happening at the same time was mm. was pretty rough. Um, so yeah, I really I really grieve that. Um, and it really, you know, I remember saying to a friend of mine, um, "I've lost any sense of the future. I I have no, I have no idea what's going to happen." I don't know if there will be theatre. And she said, well, theatre's been going for thousands of years. It's pretty resilient. And I was like, yes, you're right. Rephrase that. I don't know if I still have a place in theatre. You know, because I'd only come to the UK in 2016. I graduated from Lambda in 2017. It's not like I'd had a long time to put my roots down. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and it also made me think about, It really just made me accept in a new way that acting jobs just may not come. Mm. Um, yeah, and it made me realise, okay, I'm, I'm not going to put my life on hold anymore for an acting job that may or may not materialise. Um, yeah, it was a really hard time. It was also, you know, my day jobs were in theatres. I was working in front of house and stage doors. And so also financially it was tough. There were lots of months where I found money for rent like the day after it was due. Mm -hmm. Um, So it also, it really took away my sense of the future. It really took away my sense of safety. Um, And coming out of that was where I accepted my like current full-time day job um, because I was like, yeah, okay, I need financial security and I... I'm not going to, as I say, I'm not going to put my life on hold for an acting job that may or may not come. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, and I, you know, have now figured out a balance where I can keep my day job and I can still make theatre shows and I can still do auditions and stuff. So um, I'm making it work. But, yeah, yeah, pandemic was a weird one, wasn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly was. I, I felt like there was a bit of, um, I feel like creative community kind of, did their best to come together um, virtually, sort of over Zooms, doing playing yeah. games and things like that.
1: Yeah, um, I wrote an audio drama, which I never would have done. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we recorded it in lockdown with everyone remotely. Um, one collaborator who lived in Australia, one in America. Um, yeah, never never would have done that if yeah. we hadn't kind of been forced to go, oh, okay, what are our digital options?
0: Hmm. Yeah, then obviously some theatre started doing... You know, in camera work.
2: But,
0: mm. Which was cool because then you got to reach a, a much wider audience. And I think that the only shame of it is because uh, obviously, you know, theatre is for the live experience, um, mm. most of them have sort of gone away from doing in camera work. And I, I know it is a bit of a it's a bit of a pain to set up because obviously there are different factoring contracts in regards to when actors perform like, you know, when mm. you do when you're doing stage work. Um, it's, you, you know, contracts are for a lot of amount of time for, for having on the run is and then not mm. for it being sort of, unless, unless National Theatre Live and not being on your door. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it could be complicated. Mm. Um, but it was good to see Like I got to watch theatre at home. I mean, it, it, obviously it wasn't the same, but I also watched things I wouldn't normally watch, which is nice.
1: Totally. I remember really enjoying, um, I think it was the Royal Court, did Letters to My White Best Friend.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um Which was specifically written for actors to read over Zoom. Um, And I loved it.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. I remember, like, yeah, there was like online scratch nights as well. And it was all. Yes, I
1: performed (laughs) in one. It was great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had something written, but it was cool because it's all done in a way like, I don't know know how they did it. They organised it so well. So I kind of had a host that they would then like cut to and be like, oh, now you're going to watch this by this person. Sports about and then and then you know it was like yeah it was like, it was like watching a TV show the theatre so um so what part of acting do you love?
1: I have always loved acting for it being a space where it's safe to have really big feelings. Mm. I um I've I've always been kind of a sensitive emotionally volatile kind of person Uh, maybe "volatile" is not quite the right word um and theater is a space to do that in a controlled environment and it's a space where it's it's the only space i know of where um that level of emotional honesty is um applauded like literally applauded um i think um Yeah, it's emotions are really hard things and they're really hard to face up to. And it's such a gift to get on a stage and just really let rip. Um, Because there's also, there's the safety of knowing that we're under this social contract. You know that I'm not actually yelling at you or like trying to assault you. Um, But also you're reminding the audience, I hope, you're reminding the audience that they also have permission to have feelings too.
0: Yeah, that's a really lovely way of putting it. I've never, I've never thought of it like that, I guess. the, uh, well, It's not that I thought, I suppose it's sort of taken for granted, isn't it, actually, as, uh, from an acting point of view that you are yeah. in, a, in, a, in a very safe space to emote what you need to emote and... No one's going to question it or judge it. Well, some people will judge it. Some people will not yeah. think you're either good or, you know, think you're good or bad at emotion. Yeah, yeah. But um, there's a therapeutic aspect to it, I guess, to, 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 the, to the expression of acting, I suppose. I've always found it very therapeutic.
1: Definitely, um, yeah. And I think natural talent is connected to your ability to tap into your emotions, Yeah. Um, you know, and also there are people who are total assholes because they don't know how to regulate their emotions when they're not on camera or on stage. Like, mm. um, yeah, I'm certainly not certainly not a fan of the the white male genius who's allowed to be a dick because he's a meth actor.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's come up a couple of times on the show <laughs> where it's yeah, like yeah I I would say like do what you need to do to get to where you need to get to but don't let that affect someone else's process don't let that get in the way of because this is a collaboration Um, yeah totally and um you know I would never judge anyone for being how they are but I just don't yeah it's, yeah it's so it's so strange isn't it because it's not it's not a collaboration uh, it's really about uh, i think i've spoken about this before i had a bit of a random experience on a short film uh and um <laughs> the, the lead actor just wasn't remotely interested in speaking to anybody he <laughs> won't <laughs> to speak to anybody um and i was like that's not just not you know you're only gonna get so far yeah with this version of acting that you think is you need to be so insular you know, that you don't speak to anyone. Yeah. Um, and there's there's kind of like a there's a difference between being introverted or shy. Or, because mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't think all actors sh- should be extroverts and loud and no. and uh, or traditionally American with hey I'm here and I'm let's get, <laughs> let's get the show on the road like um, we we can we can we can be the complete opposite of that and and mm. put in the most amazing work. I don't. I, there's a place for everybody. Mm. Uh, but I think ignoring people, uh, or when you're given instructing and uh, sorry, when you're given instructional direction and just kind of nodding. Um, <laughs> I say there's something about you not being quite present.
1: Yeah, and I think most of us get into this kind of field because we want to connect with other people. And so it can feel like a real slap in the face if someone is not interested in connecting with you.
0: Yeah, it's just it's just really hard. And I guess. You, you, I'm very like I'm so self-conscious in terms of like, oh, that well, this person must immediately hate me.
1: Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, same. Yeah. We have
0: just met, but he must hate me.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> they think I'm a stupid idiot.
0: <laughs> you know, and how's this? You know, how's this going to work? And how we can, you know, it's cause, as I say, it should be about collaboration. Um, yeah, totally. I guess I've kind of answered the next question, which is what part of acting do you not love? <laughs> but.
1: I mean, I think learning lines is the most boring part, which is really funny because people who don't understand acting think that that's the hard part. Um, And it's hard, but mostly because it's boring.
0: Yeah. Do you often learn lines on your own?
1: Um, Yes. Because I don't like assuming that other people have time for me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I find it I find it hard to learn, especially if you know you're supposed to be chatting with someone else and you kinda have to learn yeah. two sets of lines. Um, yeah, yeah. And
1: if you're working in a if you're working in an accent, um that's yeah. a whole extra layer of work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, learning lines and binds. I don't, I don't I think, you know I've been asked before like what's the what's the best way to do it? i don't know. it's your way. Your way to Totally. To it. Like there is everyone's
1: one, brain you know, is different. How could there yeah. possibly be a way that works for everybody?
0: yeah i when i used to learn monologues i used to turn them into songs and sing them yeah great i'm not remotely interested in singing or being musical theater performer um but it would just i don't know it would just help i would like turn it into a song Um, yeah yeah uh i don't know if that's good or bad (laughs) it's just something (laughs) that came out one day
1: (laughs) yeah i've done that sometimes or like saying it in a silly voice um 'Cause also you don't you want to fight against like developing a tone of voice while you're learning lines or developing a, a set line reading and so sometimes just saying it in a silly voice.
0: makes yeah. make
1: it more bearable. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, different speeds, different rhythms. Um yeah. definitely yep. just, yeah, it just makes it up. Because also as I said, because it's such a challenging and hard thing to do, like it makes it more interesting for you and a bit more fun if you can if it, you know, if you can add the play element
1: to it. Totally. And if you can like you know, challenge yourself to freak out your neighbours. Um, that's always fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I quite—I mean, I quite often um, when I was living in London, I would—I would like be learning my lines on the tube. So I'd be packed yep. tube in the morning, and um, I would recorded the other mm-hmm.
2: the other characters'
0: lines, <clears throat> and I'd be saying mine out loud. and i just just—I'm just look like a crazy person, but um, <laughs> yeah.
1: I remember my partner came home once while I was rehearsing a monologue and he just looked at me and I'd finished and then he said, I wonder how I will know if you ever go mad.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Do you have a funny or cringeworthy audition story?
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, this was one of the... You know, one of the terrible musical theater auditions that I went to in Houston, um, where I was just so overwhelmed um, that I had only prepared one song instead of two, um, and I didn't—I didn't even have my book with me. You know, the, like the musical theater portfolio where you've got your dozen songs. Um, for some reason, I didn't have that with me. I sang my one song, not particularly well, and they were like, "Do you have anything else for us?" And I said, "No." And then I left. Oh. <laughs> so I think that's been one of my worst auditions.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was like, I, I have no idea. Like, I my only sort of insight to that is kind of over uh, the sort of top dramatized things in sitcom when people go for auditions. It's always a bit, mm. things like that. And, and, and what that experience must be like. Is it just as, like, Can you hear other people singing when you're waiting to go in an audition for those kind of things? Is that
1: often, yeah.
0: Right. Is that is that quite intimidating?
1: Yeah, totally. Um, I don't know if you know the musical the last five years.
0: I am aware of its existence. Um I've I've got Canadian friends that rave about it. Um, Sure.
1: Yeah. There's a so one of the main characters in that is an actor. And there's a a song about her audition experience. Um And it's so funny. The song is called Climbing Up Hill. And, yeah, she's like, I'm watching 200 girls who are younger and thinner than me belting as high as they can. Um, Yeah, it is very intimidating. And there's also, I've been in a couple of, like, theatre group auditions um, where that's also quite or can be quite intimidating because you find yourself sometimes falling into someone else's interpretation um, or kind of just getting lost in the mix. I remember being rejected. This was the last thing I auditioned for before lockdown. Um, it was a group audition and I was rejected and then I went, oh, I'm not surprised because the director didn't actually see me. Like at no point during the, this like group situation was I aware of the director actually watching me work? Right. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, no, and then sometimes I, I... group auditions I've had, you you get to explore that delightful connection or sometimes, sometimes it's gorgeous um, and sometimes it's intimidating and sucks.
0: Yeah, I'd love to know more about the whole group audition. I've been in a couple of group auditions um, I actually worked. I did one for Secret Cinema, um, mm. probably just before lockdown, or no, it would have been a bit before, maybe a year before. It was for a, I think the I think they did a Blade Runner one,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um and I went to an open for that, and there was know, about twenty of us in the room, mm. only about two people to it, like two I don't know, like who were taking the audition. Mm. um So it's hard to know. Like obviously they're looking for people who can collaborate and take direction, mm. and mm. Um, you know all the professional things you would expect to uh, having to spend so much time working with people hopefully that you know they're nice and can do the job but mm. it's just like yeah that's really I think that's even more and ambi- you leave those situations even more ambiguous than the, the, the run-of-the-mill audition where you're just going on your own um
1: yeah I mean it's helpful to kind of get a sense of kind of the quality of the competition mm. um but it is so I don't use group auditions when I'm casting stuff that I've written you know the stuff that I make I don't use group auditions because I don't I don't think they're useful I can only focus on one person at a time so I'm not going to waste someone else's time by asking them to sit there while I'm focusing on someone else
2: yeah yeah
1: but yeah depends on who you are and how you work but yeah I think also my experience of that director who didn't cast me because she, I genuinely believe that she didn't see me.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And how have you dealt with rejection? The, you know, in
2: the
1: industry? Um, like I said, I have very big feelings. So I have very <laughs> big feelings about rejection. Um, the other day I ceremonially took a script to Primrose Hill and cried and journaled. Um, yeah it's hard you've I I think the way I deal with rejection is the way I deal with kind of all my big feelings is by just going like pretending it's not happening is not going to work um I need to take this seriously I need to honor this I need to you know and sometimes it feels silly that you're like oh my god I can't believe I'm grieving this thing that I never even had um but I'm like if that's what I need to do then that's what I need to do like so I cry a lot um I keep a I keep a log of you know everything I go up for everything I submit for um and I I get really excited when I see that number growing so I've submitted to 52 things this year um and that's not including stuff that my agent has put me up for that I don't know about um so, so where I can finding finding ways to celebrate rejection and going, I put myself out there fifty two times this year. I'm yeah. so fucking brave. Yeah. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's yeah. a hard one. It can it can get under your skin.
0: And do, and do you think it would be useful to do you think it's useful or easier to receive feedback each time you're rejected or not?
1: I do think it's easier to receive feedback um, if it's useful feedback. The Arts Council feedback is is famously opaque. Um,
0: is that for writing stuff?
1: That's for, yeah, um, or kind of, you know, project grant stuff. Like I've written a thing and helped me get it on and the Arts Council say no because of this reason, which is pre-selected from a drop-down list, which... Doesn't always make sense. Um, yeah. yeah, I think feedback. I think feedback can be really useful um, because I think the worst part about rejection is feeling invisible. Mm. Um, but if someone says there was a film I was um, up for a little while ago, and someone said like, "You, you know, I think you're an amazing actor. I decided to cast someone else, but I think you're great, and I'd like to work you with again in the future." Like even that coming just from like a genuine human place just makes me feel so better so much better yeah because it makes me go like oh like they saw me they see that i have something to offer they've decided not to cast me this time um but they 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 saw me they see me
0: yeah and you know whatever you're doing like you're going in the right direction so yes kind of yeah like, absolutely oh, okay, cool. so i just continued <laughs>
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: doesn't to make too many drastic changes
1: Um, Yeah, and next time you want to cast someone who's thin enough to fit into a costume that you already own, like, I won't feel so cut up about it. Like, (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. How do you deal with rejection?
0: Um, I'm very, yeah, I'm very at ease with it now. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not precious, precious, that's a very dismissive word to say, but. Hmm. Some takes um rejection hard, I think, but i i, I guess I'm just used to it mm. <laughs> yeah you just and i i'm I'm very good at auditioning for whatever I'm auditioning for, and then once it's finished, it's like right on to the next one it's sort of the yep. job is auditioning, and getting a job is a bonus um, and if I get nice feedback that's great uh, mm. or if or if I get constructive feedback even better, mm, um mm-hmm. because then I know like. I think it's really important to keep a list of the people you've auditioned for and what mm. you've auditioned for. And if you're can, if you able to get feedback and find out why it didn't work and then you're then seen by that person again, then mm. at least you can revert back to that and go, oh, right, okay, they didn't like this because of work. Mm. Um, so I think it's important to just, yeah, you always have to work on your craft. You always have to, you know, because there's so many of us out there Buying for the same things. Mm. Um, unfortunately, the, the system in place makes it very competitive and that's, you know, I wanted to make this podcast so that I could sort of eliminate that element of creativity and uh, mm. not, not creativity. That's not what I meant to say. Um, <laughs> Competition. That's the one. Yep. Um, and um, I'm, and just to be a stark reminder that we are, we're a community and um, there's mm. space for all of us. To, uh, mm. uh, to have our voices and to and to express ourselves through this this uh you know wonderful art form. Um, yeah. but yeah, I'm 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 very much just yeah, I'm not, that doesn't mean like there's some things that I would have loved to have been in that I've missed out on. Mm-hmm. Um uh or you know, like some things you you do more auditions and you find that you're down to the final two and then you don't get it and you're like, Oh, you know, but then you just for me I just go, Oh well. Okay, well, I got really close, you know, much mm. closer than maybe I would have done last year or the year before. So
1: yeah, yeah, and that's I, not nothing.
0: No, so I think because if you can find the progress in it, it yeah. helps. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunately it's it's part of the part of the business. It's it's a huge part of the business. It's it's um a lot of it is rejection. And totally. It, yeah. It, no, it's not nice. Um. But I don't know how to do anything else and I don't want to, so.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I've been in the position, you know, when I make my own stuff, I am casting other people. Um, Sometimes that's through auditions. Sometimes that's me asking someone that I already know. Um, But also at my day job, I'm responsible for hiring people. Um, And there just isn't time to give feedback so much of the time.
2: Um,
1: And and I think, you know, unsolicited feedback is is not always welcome, so I don't tend to give it unless it's been asked for. Um, but I had a guy audition for me where, like, you know, it came down to him and one other person um, and his agent had said, like, is there any feedback I can give him? Um, and then when I said, like, yeah, it was between him and the other person and we chose the other person because they had more physical theatre experience, this guy was more of a musical theatre performer, Um we wanted someone who could like devise in the room a bit more. Um, and his agent was like, yeah, great. He'll be really stoked to hear that. And, and I like that can just make such a difference. Like, cause if this guy had gone away from this audition thinking, Oh, what was I thinking? I would never get cast in that. Or I'm, I can't be taken seriously or whatever. For his agent to then say to him, like, no, it was very close. It was very nearly you, but someone else came in with some specific skill, which was a little bit more suited to it. And That can really make all the difference.
0: I think that's kind of a thing. Being on the other side, like you say, having to um cast for projects you create yourself, that's really hard. It's really hard. <laughs> I have I I I was casting for a short film that I wrote, and um I was torn between two people. I was literally rolling around on my bed.
2: Yeah. Shouting at
0: my wife, going,
2: I don't know who to cast in both so good. It's not fair. <laughs> it's like you
0: know. Um yeah yeah what i really should have done is not have me in it and then and then giving them my role um
1: <laughs> we'll write a role for both of them
0: or something <laughs> but um i did say to the person that i didn't take on Look, like, i would uh, you're amazing and I, I want to write something for you in the future you know? mm, mm.
2: Um,
0: so and you don't you don't you know i think good 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 people and i'm sort of pat myself on the back here but good people don't forget other good performers so
2: mm, like mm. if you
0: make a lasting impression you know i got called in for something uh last year by someone who i'd auditioned for wow, seven or eight years ago I, mm. don't, I don't even remember auditioning for this person and they're like, yeah yeah you know we didn't choose at time but i remember that you really stood out and i thought you'd be good for something another time so can you that's audition great for this? And i was just like wow and I, that, I mean that's again that's feedback and that's like okay yeah no matter what I think of myself, seven or eight years ago, I must be doing something right, even though yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't get the job. But again, you're moving in the right direction. You're doing yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah, it's tough okay. It?
2: Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's to really ourselves? tough
1: because also the, like, the proportion of heartbreak to joy. Yeah. If it's if it's too out of whack, you just want to quit. Mm. Um which you should if you want to quit you should like yeah, yeah. um no shame in it yeah absolutely yeah although maybe you know i haven't quit so maybe maybe there is a lot of shame in it <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> i would feel a lot of shame if i quit i don't know
0: i, I know that i would never be ha- like, i'm currently taking a break from acting um mm. i already really miss it it's been yeah. a few months now and, I'm, and, I'm, and I can feel like but it's been it's been good it's been good for me and obviously the podcast has taken over but I feel refreshed and I feel like I'm going to come at it a little bit differently and that's great rejuvenated when I when I do nice. um, so yeah I'm kind of looking forward to that
1: yeah getting
0: yeah back, getting back in the mix again and um
1: good luck with that
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I, need it. I, need to I mean that sincerely
1: I know that sounded kind of <laughs> sarcastic, but like. Genuinely, you know, (laughs) wish you really well.
0: Do you have a preparation ritual before you do any acting, whether it's on stage or on screen? Are you superstitious at all?
1: I'm not superstitious. Um, I do have various things that I've picked up from my training um, about how to go into it. Um, And, you know, that varies on the role and the situation. um, also depends on how much time I have. Um, you know, is this a three-second warm-up or is this a three-hour warm-up? Mm-hmm. Um, I have versions for both of those things. Um, yeah. Uh, part of what I find enjoyable about a theatre, developing a theatre role, is discovering what the preparation ritual is. Oh. It's because it's often quite different. Um,
0: maybe yeah. give an example
1: of one yeah case? so um, the play that I wrote we never get called we never get off at Sloan Square for that show um, I was playing a character who was suicidal and kind of really struggling with um, getting in and out of her headspace um, mm. how did I not let her suicidality take over my life Um which was really tricky because part of the way I wrote the show was as an expression of how I was feeling. So something that our mutual friend Lizzie actually suggested to me was about using music, um, and music coincidentally was very important to this character. Her mother was a, um, a classical pianist, and so I chose songs that felt like the character and I chose songs that felt like me and I would listen to the characters' songs before, particularly on my way to rehearsal, and then listen to the me songs on the way home.
2: That's um, brilliant.
1: Yeah. I I do, I do the music thing quite a lot, actually. Um, yeah, what helps me get into character, what helps remind me that I'm me at the mm. end of it. Um, I find music quite helpful. Yeah. Oh,
0: I love that. That's yeah. brilliant. Well done, Lizzie. I'm trying to I'm trying to get her on the podcast. She's she's Lizzie is busy. Um Yes, busy Lizzie. <laughs> <laughs> um that's cool. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's a wonderful way of looking at it. Mm. Um I I, I I don't know. I think I what I would struggle with though is like I would still use songs for a character that would probably mean something to me. So I'd have to like be really disciplined yeah. at trying to find music that it might even have to be music that I don't usually listen to or like.
1: Um... Yeah, and that's kind of what I did with this character because classical music was such a big thing for her. Um, mm. You know, I, I listen to classical music occasionally and I enjoy it when I do, but I'm not, it's not a part of my everyday landscape in the way that it was for this character. So that was quite, it was quite easy actually to just like pick a bunch of great classical piano songs that I thought the character would enjoy and... Um, yeah.
0: That's really cool. So mm-hmm. you've mentioned quite a bit now that you create and uh, you create your own shows and do a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, when did your writing journey start? Have you always written?
1: Um, when I was living in Australia, I was directing for a youth theatre um, and I helped those kids write a show together. Um, was my first foray into it. So they improvised and then I took what they improvised and we turned it into a thing. Um, My first kind of proper writing, although having said that, that's a completely false distinction. However, um, (laughs) uh, my first commission, my first thing that I wrote that I performed myself was when I was living in Houston, um the Houston International Festival celebrated a different country every year and the year that it was Australian um you know they all looked at the one Australian theater maker in town and went what do you want to do and i was like amazing <laughs> it was it was so it was such that was just such a gift straight from the gods i had i had had one of those moments of going okay i'm going to i'm going to put it out there that i would like to write I'm going to consciously acknowledge that that is something I would like to work towards. And then I got a call from my friend saying, hi, can I commission you to write a show about Australia um, for an audience of Texas school children? And I was like, yes, yes, you can. <laughs> so, yeah, I wrote that. Um, and then as I was, as I was in drama school, I um, worked during one of the holidays with one of my classmates and um, on uh writing something together it wasn't very good but it was very fun to write and towards the end of that year is when i started thinking about when ne- we never get off at Sloan square um which is an adaptation of a, of a 500 page novel um so oh. it's quite an epic epic project um yeah so that was that's kind of the biggest thing that i've done to date but i've done lots of other Lots of other bits and pieces as well, um, and really, working on Sloane Square is what helped me feel like a writer. I really learned by doing um, on that one. It went through some kind of nine different significant rewrites. Um, the first draft was four hours long. Wow. Um, yeah, I I just learned so much about it. We did so we did a five week R and D. Um, at the Park Theatre, five weeks. Can you imagine? That was so good.
2: <laughs> um,
1: and towards the end of it, I was like, oh, my God, I, I broke it. Like, I, I don't know if you feel like this, when you, like, you write something and you, like, assemble it and you put it together, and in order to fix it, you then realise that you have to break it and,
2: hmm.
1: and put the pieces back in a different way. Um, and that was an amazing... That was an amazing thing to experience. Um, it was also really amazing to. Part of the gift of that program was that there were six companies that were developing shows at the same time, so I watched other shows in development. I watched other artists get feedback, um, and I and I began to understand. That's that all that process also really taught me how to take feedback. Um, that. You only really need to pay attention to feedback you get multiple times and or feedback that solves a problem for you or makes you go, oh, yes. And also, um, I think Neil Gaiman says this. I discovered it. Neil Gaiman says so many smart things about writing, but I discovered Mm. it for myself during that process, that an audience member will be able to tell you that there is a problem. They won't be able to tell you accurately what the problem is. Um, That's true. So there was a so you know my two main characters in this show are obsessed with Japanese cinema, and I'd had a lot of feedback that it didn't work because people didn't understand enough about Japanese cinema. And then after watching watching another play go through the same process, and someone else said like, oh I didn't I didn't like it because I don't understand enough about Swedish politics is what that play was about. And then I went, no, actually, I think you didn't like it because you didn't care about the characters. And I realised that that's what what had been happening in my piece as well, is that it doesn't actually matter if you haven't seen any Japanese cinema. You just have to know, you just have to care about my characters enough Mm. that what they think about Japanese cinema matters to you. Mm. Um, So that's a very long-winded way of saying that I learned how to deal with feedback um, on that, on that course, which was fantastic.
0: And uh, was that primarily writing for stage that you've done? Yes, yeah. Have you got any interest in writing for screen?
1: Um, Actually, no, I lie. I have written for screen once and I did write an audio drama in lockdown, like I said. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's like, so I did, I worked on, you know, those like 48-hour film festivals. Mm. Um, I, I co-wrote um, a script for one of those, um, which was pretty fun. Um, yeah. It's not that I'm against writing for screen. It's just that it's not the language that I, that I think in.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair.
1: I, I Like I dream in theatre.
2: Mm.
1: I don't dream in film.
2: Yeah, I often
0: feel the theatre is a place where you can take more risks, I think. Or it's easier to take more risks. In what way? Well, as Peter Brook once said, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: to create theatre all you need is a space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And once someone walks into that space...
1: You've got a theatre.
0: You've got a theatre. Theatre is happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... It's, I think it's much easier to have the play element um, in theatre and to be experimental than mm. it isn't than it is on film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That's not to say you can't be experimental on film. There's a lot mm. of experimental art house films I love, mm. Um, mm. and I love surreal stuff. And but that all takes time and effort it, mm. in a way that's slightly different. That is a, mm-hmm. lots of setup and like that's sort of stuff that's already worked out before there's mm. a lot of less things happening in the moment like on on screen I think things that will happen in the moment can be just like someone will say a line that's not in the script or someone will do an mm. action that's not in the script um or maybe it will play out for a whole scene in which they've just decided they're going to improvise the next chunk but and then there's something about theatre there's just more play mm. um mm. And because you couldn't do it anywhere, you don't have to rely upon being in a theatre.
1: Yeah, a
0: yeah. Or a room booked somewhere or, or you yeah. know, your garage or whatever. Yeah, um, it can
1: be stripped back much yeah. more if if you want it to be, yeah.
0: Yeah, or you can take us, a... Like a couple years ago, um, I said up my own scratch night um, and I took over a board game cafe. Mm. um, So it's just... Yeah, it's just it's just a bit. E- I find it's a bit easier, mm. um, in terms of the play element and 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 being able to be experimental.
2: Mm. Whereas, mm. like,
0: uh, it's cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't cost as much money as uh, hiring a whole crew and being like, "Hey, we're gonna, just, you know, we're I'm gonna improvise this film."
1: On one level, but then, if you want anything that even resembles an actual venue. Mm. For a theatre show, then it's heinously expensive. Yeah, of course, of course it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not. I'm. Yeah, don't want to dis- dis- dismiss that at all. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um. So, how has acting or the business changed since you started? Do you think?
1: Hmm. It's gotten more digital. Mm. Um. You know, casting databases rather than paper headshots. Um yeah. self tapes obviously um yeah, even just the like filming theater shows um yeah, so i I think I was nine when I like sent my first email, so it's not like I'm old enough that i rem that like I remember the pre digital world, but I wow wasn't an adult in it, um but still, everything's just gotten more and more, more and more digital. Um, yeah, since I've joined it, I don't know that acting itself has changed very much.
0: Hmm. That's fair. And what what do you know now that you wish you'd known when you started?
1: That having a day job is normal and doable. Yeah and the majority of actors' experiences.
0: Yeah, we, we will have to eat.
1: We all have to eat. I think <laughs> I, I honestly, I mean like, it's, it's the dreamers who get into acting. And so mm. I can't berate myself too harshly for this, but I think I honestly thought that I would just like, just skip from gig to gig all the time. Um, and even the people who do skip from gig to gig all the time, still work other jobs between them yeah. um yeah I think there's a real there's a real myth about what it means to be an actor um and it usually doesn't include a day job and and it should
0: <laughs> yeah but I get people have um oh, the muggles as I call them have an mm. idea that like as soon as you tell someone you're an actor oh what are you in? What have I seen you in? What, are mm. you, what are you in at the moment? Nobody does this all the time. Not even no. A list access do this all the time. And obviously, they totally. can afford not to. But yeah, um, totally. But I think that's the problem is they, um, the, there's not many other industries in which like there's kind of a, 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 a scene summit of. um say you're an actor that expect you to be like in the big films or on stage all the time or, yeah. or, or yeah. like that, that, that means you're you are you are immediately successful it's like I don't know like who who is the, who are the best dentists who are the best surgeons yeah. I don't do you know what I mean it's just who's the best accountant. I don't know like if you're if you're, yeah you know it's it's yeah it's looked upon in a different way. And I also think that that comes about because it's also slightly frowned upon and, and taken for granted. Um, yeah, still a normal
1: I, job. I used to answer that question of like, "Oh, what would I've seen you with?" Seen you in in something like very specific. So I'd go, "Were you in Melbourne in 2008? <laughs> um, and did you happen to go to the Melbourne Museum and go to the Titanic exhibition?" Because I did the voiceovers. Like,
0: <laughs> <laughs> brilliant.
1: you know, like I was working as a children's party entertainer, and I'd go, "Well." At Rosie's fifth birthday party, I played a hell of a mermaid. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you caught me there, but I was pretty great.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think mean, it's yeah, just be as vague as possible. Just be like, oh, well, i only really act in you know, Japanese cinema. Are you interested yeah. in any of that? Um, <laughs> I fly back from here in Tokyo quite often. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not so bad. And um, is there something you do that brings you joy that's not connected to the industry?
1: Yes, Um, and I had to fight quite hard for it because I found that I kept on taking up hobbies, and then somehow they would be co-opted by the industry. Um, You know, in the sense that I would, I'd start swimming, and then I'd go, "Oh no, like this feeds into my acting life because like fitness is good, and maybe I'll swim in a film." And you know, Um, I started playing Magic: The Gathering. Um, What's that? It is a fantasy collectible card game, right. um, along the lines of kind of Pokemon or Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, you uh, yeah, you you build an army, you build a fantastical army out of the cards that you own, and then you fight someone else with that army, and um, and it's so much fun. And it there there is no way I can co-opt it into being about acting one time i did audition for a game store where i talked about how i loved magic the gathering but yeah it's completely nerdy it was very big among um 14 year old boys in the 80s and 90s um which is how i got into it because my partner was one of those 14 year old boys <laughs> um
0: <laughs> and so, so where did do, where do the fights take place how does that how does that happen
1: um, You either just play with people you know or uh, lots of game stores have kind of public events um, where you can go, Um, yeah, Friday Night Magic is what it's normally called. I'm normally not brave enough to play with people I don't know. Right. Um, I feel very self-conscious playing in front of people I don't know, but what's nice is that, as I said, my partner's really into it, so he and I can just play a lot. We've got other friends who we play with and stuff, so it's utterly nerdy and I love it.
0: That's (laughs) awesome. And um, do you have something that you'd like to achieve that you haven't yet or do you have uh, something like a goal in mind creatively?
1: Ah, oh, so many things. Um, I really want, whenever I get off at Sloan Square, to have a four-week run. Mm-hmm. Um, I really want to take a show to the Edinburgh Fringe.
2: Mm.
1: Um I really want to be on stage in the West End, yeah, in a musical no in a in a play my my desires have shifted, <laughs>
0: <laughs> great, and yeah um, <laughs> is there a piece of acting advice or direction that you've received that has stuck with you for like is embedded in your head that you call back mm. to.
1: Yeah. One of my teachers at Lambda, Robert Price, um, used to always say, don't go missing. Um, Which was his way of reminding you to stay in the room and actually talk to the person you're talking to. Don't put on, don't put on a fake voice, which is different to kind of developing a character voice. Like, don't. Don't go into kind of, I am acting now. <laughs> so don't go missing. Stay mm. here.
2: Um,
1: like that. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that really got embedded in my head during my time at drama school.
0: Mm. Nice way to remember to be present, isn't it?
1: Yeah. yeah. And so like anytime there was a transition between activities, he'd go, don't go missing.
0: <laughs> that's really sweet. But it's nice because mm. it's simple, and it, but it's still really like, it's big <laughs> yeah <laughs> Means well it's kind of yeah. it's kind
1: of the whole thing I mean depending on what style you're doing some some styles of acting don't need to be that sure. you know naturalistic but or, or that
0: Great. I don't know what I'm saying yeah <laughs> <laughs> no no I get it I get it um I think uh one thing I'm trying to now encourage people to do um particularly because we live in uh, in this country in which, like, it's full of people who are self de- de- deprecating and, you know, don't take themselves, um, don't give themselves a pat on the back enough. Uh, so, I would like you to say something you're proud of that you've done creatively.
1: I'm proud that I learned how to be a writer. Yeah. And I did it by doing and by learning just whatever I could from wherever I could. Yeah, I'm really proud of that. I, I started out to become an actor and I and I, sort of accidentally became a writer and
2: mm.
1: it's lovely.
0: It's brilliant. Good, good, I'm glad. Uh, we, we've we got something we should do then. We should be picking ourselves up as well, yeah. like all the time. Not in an arrogant way. But, you know, but
1: just in a way that acknowledges yeah. We've all done stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, so uh yeah, I'm trying to get that. Try to encourage the the pride element of this. Um well Amy, you've been just absolutely lovely just to speak to and to interview and um
1: Thank you, Ed, i really enjoyed it.
0: Been so many gems of inspiration and yeah, this is brilliant. So I'm gonna end my podcast the way I end all my podcasts, which is with the questionnaire invented by Bernard Pibo, who inspired my favorite interviewer, James Lipton, from Inside the Actors Studio.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so there's a final ten questions. I've stopped saying the rapid fire because it it, it people get a bit anxious. So sure. in, in your own time.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> Amy, what is your favorite word? Locker. And what is your least favourite word?
1: Disoriented.
0: What turns you on creatively, spiritually or emotionally?
1: Being reminded that there's something bigger than me.
0: And what turns you off?
1: Insincerity.
0: What is your favourite swear word?
1: Fuck. No. Fucking in an Australian accent. (laughs)
0: Like
1: a fucking what?
0: (laughs) Fucking without a G. Love it. (laughs) Yes. What sound or noise do you love?
1: What sound or noise do I love? The moment in a musical where the song has just been a single singer and then the chorus joins in. Mm, lovely. That moment is, when it's done well, it is utterly thrilling.
0: And what sound or noise do you hate?
1: Sometimes I really struggle with my partner's singing. He's a good singer. It's not that. It's that he's got a very limited repertoire and I've but- heard them all before.
0: Well, I hope he's not listening to this.
1: (laughs) If he is, I love you.
0: (laughs) What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt?
1: Sign language interpreting.
0: And what profession would you not like to do? Chef. (laughs) Too hot in the kitchen, right?
1: Too hot, too stressful. I don't like making my own food. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and finally if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates
2: oh
1: this is such a complicated question (laughs) so so i am currently writing a play about my experience of religious trauma
2: okay
1: um so if heaven exists it doesn't Um, is my answer to that and i would like god to say i don't exist you're free to be your own person
0: (laughs) (laughs) amazing well thank you so much Amy. thank you for giving up your time for me this afternoon thank you ed i
1: appreciate you
0: yeah likewise and um yeah is there anything you want to plug
1: so i do have some good news coming up but i can't talk about it yet
0: that's fair um
1: so, if I could plug people finding me on socials or signing up to my 100%. newsletter through my um, website, um, then uh, once I'm allowed to talk about the news, you'll hear about it.
0: <laughs> Amazing! Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I can link all that in the in the show notes. I can put yeah,
1: awesome. Thank social you. Social
0: media handles and anything else you want me to put in there.
1: Yeah. Great. Um, Thanks.
0: That's yeah. I try and do that for everyone. Only spotlight if you want. Um, yeah. Yep. Because also, what I'm, I mean, what would be the absolute dream of this, isn't it? um this is another way that hopefully the industry can get to know um mm. performers and mm-hmm. um people might want to collaborate with other people that mm. listen to it so um yeah i've been linking spotlight and, and or or social media stuff um yeah. yeah i'm definitely to happy to hear, hear from people
1: to. interested in collaborating um i love being in the making and collaborating space so yeah,
2: yeah
0: cool well i will i will let you go i'll leave it to your evening thank you so much again for giving up your time Um, all
1: right thank you and i'll talk to you you soon
0: yeah talk to you soon and hopefully see you in a new year yes yeah 3d yeah all the best see ya well thank you amy that was just so so lovely um i don't know what it's about australians i always like i always finish an interview feeling so chill and calm and oh that was like a lovely warm bath um but just full of wonderful nuggets of inspiration and um yeah i'll link all your stuff in the show notes for people to check out and uh, if you enjoyed this podcast please do tell someone else please talk about it on social media um i just want other creatives to find it i just want to spread all the inspiration that's being offered from my wonderful guests so um, if this was the first one of us to go back and listen to the rest there's there's nice. something for everyone i assure you and um, if you want to be on it then please feel free to get in touch uh, don't think act podcast at gmail.com even if you want to send some feedback or you've got a, an audition story you want to share with us um, i'd love to hear from you i'd love to hear what you think and uh, well a sort of shout out to um, some new, new people listening in other parts of the world. Uh, we're now having people listen in Kenya, in India, um, and uh, Peru. So that's very exciting to have reached those areas. I'm really enjoying this, and um, and thank you so much for for listening. It really means a lot. Stay creative.